At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Other Side of Midnight presents The Midnight Files. Midnight in the desert Shooting stars across the sky This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I have for many years uh, been fascinated by the death of uh, Captain Thomas Mantell. Now, uh, there is a great deal of mystery about what happened to this 25-year-old Air National Guard pilot. He died in the crash of his P-51 Mustang fighter plane near Kentucky. That's what we know. Uh, There's a lot of speculation about what happened in that airplane and what he saw. This has been discussed and debated for since at least the 1950s. And now there's a lot of attention that's being paid to this story. And one of the people that has been trying to get the truth out about what happened to Captain Thomas Mantell happens to be his grandson, uh, Terry Mantell. Terry, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Frank. I'm happy to be on. So, so uh, Terry, what can you tell us about your, your grandfather, who uh, obviously I presume you never got to meet, and uh, his military record during World War II, for instance? Sure. Yeah, in World War II, he actually flew on D-Day and flew a couple different missions. But on D-Day, he uh, went on Normandy. Uh, he got hit not on a different mission. I think it was uh, Market Operation Market Garden. He got hit. He was uh, he was too tall. I'm six six. He was too tall to fly the fire plane, so he flew uh, one of the bigger, larger planes. And he actually had a glider that was attached to his plane. So on that certain day, a certain mission. He got hit with a lot of flack uh, from uh, German, and it, instead of abandoning and letting go of the glider, he continued on and hit his mark, 
and made it back to England. And his plane was completely – if you saw the picture of the plane, I mean, it, I don't know how he made it back alive. But he got the distinguished flying cross. Uh, he won other medals. So he was very, very well – great pilot. So he knew his way around an airplane and uh, was not inexperienced by any stretch. Is he somebody that um, that was considered reckless as a pilot? Uh, was he somebody prone to, say, drinking or doing a lot of uh, odd stunts in an airplane? No, no, not at all. Not at all. He was, he was very – now, I think he had that mentality of, uh, you know, a, a pilot in that day. I'm sure being 23 at that time, 24 years old, he – he felt pretty good about himself. I'm, I'm thinking, but not he, his his reputation. His nickname was called Shiny. I mean, he's, everybody liked him. Hmm. Um, very, very, very good pilot. January seventh, nineteen forty-eight. In the incident that we're talking about, he dies. What was your family told about his death at the time? Well, actually, there wasn't a whole lot said to our family. They, my grandmother actually found from a neighbor that the plane went down. Um, and then there were stories that came out that said he was uh, chasing Venus, uh, that he was chasing a weather balloon. The weather balloon basically was, I think, was the lasting story that was given that he was chasing a weather balloon. So that's what the, did the, what did the military, if anything, tell your family? Military really didn't come out and say anything exactly. Uh, they just there was reports that was drawn up, and basically, they said that he flew too high and passed out and uh, chasing a weather balloon. Um. Well, why do you have reason to doubt that story? Well, I mean, to, to give the background of the story, on January seventh, nineteen forty-eight, it was a typical January day, clear skies, blue, cold. Um, there was all kind of calls coming in from around Kentucky to the police station saying that people saw something. Well, the police station got overflooded with these calls, and so they called Fort Knox, Godman Field, and said, we're getting all these calls. Can you check it out? Well, at that time, Thomas, me and my grandfather, was coming back from Marietta, Georgia, just on a practice run. He was uh, in charge of a squadron. They just sent a little practice mission. He was instructed to go check out something. He saw it, engaged, and this chase went on for like 20 to 30, 40 minutes. He was back and forth radio contact with um, Godman Field saying it's huge, looks metallic, going in for a closer look. His wingman left him, um, and then actually he instructed his wingman to go to hot gun, which is a military term for uh, let's load up the P-51s for, um, to be able to fire. And so they was actually on the ground getting um, equipped with weapons while he was chasing this thing. And so I think for him to be a pilot, I think he was just too good of a pilot. It's not like, to your point, it's not like he was a crop duster. He just, you know, radioed in to a local station and said, hey, I'm seeing something when he chased it. He was, he was doing, he was instructed to do, and, he, and my dad was only two and a half years old at the mm. time. Oh, so, so sad. I, I hate uh, that uh, that uh, that your your father had to grow up without his father in his life. That's uh, just, just so sad. Um, in 1956, eight years after your grandfather's death, Air Force Captain... Edward Rapalt, who was the first head of Project Blue Book, he wrote that this crash, the one involving your grandfather, was one of three classic UFO cases in 1948 that would help to define the UFO phenomenon in the public mind and would help convince some Air Force intelligence specialists that UFOs were a real physical phenomenon. I know you've done a fair amount of research into this, Terry. Is, do you believe that's accurate? Do you believe that statement from 1956 is accurate? 
I think his story was definitely one of the top three. It was interesting that, that six months from the day from Roswell was the day that uh, Thomas died. And then if I just look back and if, if we just look back as a society and see the the technology that came out around that era and how fast it exploded on the scene, there was something really going on around the mid to late 40s, early 50s that I can't explain. Mm. Uh, it's also been said by some historians that the incident involving your your grandfather, it marked a tectonic shift in government and public perceptions about UFOs. Do you think that's true? I believe so. I mean, I think it, it, it here recently, of course, it's exploded and it's been on the scene. It's a little more easier to, to talk about and actually not be. When I remember when I was little, without the internet, I'll tell people a story. Everybody thought I was crazy. So I think I think that the more that the government we're having these hearings, we're having uh, people come out and come forward. You're having more videos. I'm thinking it's 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 way more mainstream now than it was back in the day. What are you and your family looking to do now, and why are you pursuing this now? Unfortunately, your grandfather is still dead. Nothing that uh, that you do or the military says is going to bring him back. So what are you hoping to do right now? Well, I, one, I just think that getting the story out there is – it's always been – the family, It's always we've always talked about it with the family. My dad, he had a hard time talking about it because he always got upset. But for me, ever since I was a little kid, I just – the story is amazing. Uh, people need to know who Thomas Manteau is. You know, Discovery Plus just dropped a show uh, back in May. My brother and I did. Um, that, that was huge. And then the son make, ran a story. I mean, my end game is, well, my brother's going to be working on a book. I would, I'm in the market of a screenplay because I think if you look at his life uh, from being in love with my grandmother to fighting World War II to getting the Seamus Flying Cross, to come back home and then to, to die the way he did at 25 is just, it, you don't have to add nothing to the story. Yeah. So I think his story getting out and just hopefully, I mean, my end game, I would love for somebody to give me a call from the government and said, okay, this is exactly what happened. Now, we did have contact with people that was in the uh, tire at the time at uh, Fort Knox, and he said, we saw it, and it was a saucer. And when the when that plane went down, he said the red tape came out everywhere, and everybody pretty much that was working there got dispersed across the U.S. and said that their pension was going to be taken away, and this was not to be talked about. So there's a, there, was, there was definitely a cover-up. And to get the truth, that's the end game at the end of the day. We're talking with uh, Terry Mantell, a grandson of uh, Captain Thomas Mantell, Killed at the age of only 25, in all likelihood, in pursuit of a flying saucer or some type of object. Uh, Terry, what is it that you think your grandfather was chasing? Do you have any idea? You know, I have no idea. I think, you know, when they came out and said it was Venus, I guarantee there's no way he was chasing Venus. Venus, the planet Venus. The planet. Mm -hmm. That was one of the theories. The weather balloon, I'm not sure. I think uh, I've talked to people and they said that the, they release weather balloons at air bases all the time. That's something he'd be familiar with. Whatever it was, it was enough for him to put his life on the line, that he wanted to go to military hot guns. And that really, I think he died doing something that he thinks he was protecting America from. Now, what was that? Of course, I don't know. It, it, for me to come out and say exactly what it is, I don't know what it is. Uh, I just know it was something that it was enough for a young stud, I would say, that uh, knew how to fly, that uh, was an experienced World War II vet, that uh, he put his life online and, and he died. 
Do you believe that the government knows more than they're letting on? Do you believe that the military knows the truth about what happened to your grandfather? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think the military definitely knows the truth. And I think I think the military definitely knows more than they let on. And that could be a reason because at the end of the day, you don't want to have mass hysteria and, and for them to come out. Now, it, it seems like it's inching closer with all these hearings and uh, the news coming out and, and like stuff like that. But I think, especially back in the day, if they would have came out and said, "Okay, this was a flying saucer," I mean, you, you could people would start freaking out. So I think the military, I think they know a lot more than what they're uh, letting you know letting people know. You know, you've been very public. You did the interview with the Sun, as you mentioned. You've done some some other television. You're doing this program. Has there been any reaction, either privately to you and your family, or publicly from the military or the or any government agency? about what you've been saying and about your pursuit to get the truth? There has not. There has not. That's, that would be fantastic if if we did get a call or somebody did show up and talk to us. But, you know, his, his mother, my great-grandmother, to her dying day, she tried to find out what happened to Tommy. Um, my dad, his brother, my Uncle Tommy, they – try to find out what was going on. I think my brother and I, what we're really trying to do is I said, okay, I'm going to really put it out there. I mean, you know, knock on doors. I mean, uh, on Twitter, tag people, send people messages. I don't know what else really I can do. Um, but as long as I'm getting this story out and people are willing to listen, then I'll, I'll talk about it because I do think it's one of the greatest stories that's ever happened. Oh no, absolutely. As best you know, Terry, is your grandfather the only member of the American military that was killed in action pursuing a flying saucer, or have there been others? You know, I don't know if there's been others. I know he was the first martyr, yeah, the first person ever killed in a UFO pursuit. What would it mean to your family to have the military or any other government agency sort of confirm the truth about what happened in your grandfather's death? Well, I think it would bring a lot of uh, peace. It would bring, uh, it'd bring um, satisfaction in knowing that uh, we actually know the story. Uh, I feel like have the contacts and, and the conversations that we've have had, I know he was chasing something. Now, was it some sort of military operation that even the pilots didn't know about? Was it a flying saucer? You know, I'm, I can't sit here and say exactly what it was, uh, but it would bring peace. Yeah, it would for sure bring peace. Do you think the the whole you mentioned how uh, there's now congressional hearings and uh, things of that nature? There's certainly a lot of mainstream news coverage about the UFO issue. Do you think this issue is less stigmatized now than it might have been in 1948? Are people more willing to talk about this issue in a serious manner, openly? As opposed to 70 years ago. Oh, yes, for sure. We wouldn't have this conversation seven years ago mm-hmm. on a radio station. So, uh, yeah, with, the, with the, the amount of documentaries that are coming out, shows, technology, uh, the, the hearings. I mean, yeah, you could have this conversation anywhere and people would not look at you like you were crazy. Mm-hmm. So that, it's, it's, it's definitely come a long way. And it's, it seems like it's came a long way in a short period of time, just in my lifetime. That's for sure. Uh, that is for sure. So so one of the things that people have taken away from the incident involving your grandfather is that this could be an indication 
uh, I believe the uh, historian David Jacobs has said this, that this that extraterrestrials could potentially be hostile uh, because their actions resulted in your grandfather's death. Not that you're necessarily an expert in extraterrestrial psychology, but uh, do you think that there's a possibility that these extraterrestrials are hostile? You know, it's interesting because on our show that that dropped on Discovery was called Alien Endgame. That basically the documentary was was stories like ours and a couple others um, that it it could be hostile. You know, I think if it was hostile and if there was a form out there and they had the technology to travel to the earth and if if they were hostile, I think that it would already be over with. Um, And if if they were hostile, I don't think we have a a chance against them. So I, I, I hopefully nothing out there is hostile, but I, I I don't think they are hostile. If they are out there, like I say, I don't know. Uh, I don't know for a fact what, what's out there, but I don't think they are hostile. But if they were, we'd be in trouble. You alluded to the Roswell incident. This year is the 75th anniversary of the Roswell incident. Do you have a theory about what happened there? Any idea based on either your research or even just uh, informed speculation? No, I, I think, and like I, like I told you, there's 75th year anniversaries this year, and so Thomas Mantell's will be 75 this year in January. But I, something happened there. I think there's there's definitely something that happened there. You look at the military buildup, uh, how they have everything blocked off, uh, you know, Area 51. Um, something definitely happened there. Uh, could it be as grand as Independence Day when they actually had some aliens uh, you know, 500 feet below the ground. I'm not sure, but I go back to that theory of just seeing the way technology exploded after that period to where we are now. And I don't know how we can go that fast, that far in such a short amount mm. of time without having some kind of Intel given to us or acquired. So there's always been that, um, there's been some speculation that maybe in the aftermath of Roswell, the there was reverse engineering of alien technology which helped precipitate the the mechanical and computer revolution that followed it sounds like you you think that might be a possibility oh i, I, I yeah definitely think that's a possibility and and you don't have to go that far to to think that's such a big stretch just to your point this all the technology and ability in the last 70 years something happened Something happened indeed. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of people listening to this conversation right now, Terry, that think, okay, it's sad what happened to Captain Thomas Mantell. But sometimes the simplest explanation is the right one. And they're going to say, all right, he was probably chasing a weather balloon and got too high. You don't believe that that would have been the case because you believe he would have been, as an experienced pilot, familiar with what a weather balloon looked like. Yes. Yeah, I think for... Him chasing something for 20 or 40 minutes, I think the government would have known that there's a weather balloon up in the air. I think that, uh, again, I have two daughters myself, and I, I would not put my life on the line if I think it was a weather balloon. Um, I know those things can look big, and they look kind of wild when they're up in the sky. But, again, I'm just going back on his military record, his flying ability, him being married with two little kids. 
I just don't think he would risk his life. And, you know, he went up too high. Yeah, he, he went too high chasing this thing. And I do think that he passed out because he was on a mission trip. And so the P-51s at that time, he didn't have oxygen on the plane because they was flying below uh, the level. And he uh, he went above it. And I think he chased this thing until he went above it and then passed out and crashed. Mm. Um, and now, who's to say that he didn't get too close to this thing and something happened to his plane? But I do think his body was in the plane. Because uh, there was reports saying his body was missing, and but no, his body was on the plane. He he was in the crash, and I just think he, whatever he thought, he thought that he was protecting America. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, I'm wishing uh, you the best. Oh, by the way, but well, the other thing that I've heard occasionally from those who discount the UFO theory is that maybe your grandfather, while he might have been an experienced pilot, maybe he was just unfamiliar with this specific type of airplane, the P-51 Mustang fighter plane. Is that a possibility? I've read that stuff before. Again, he wanted to fly them in World War II, but he was too tall. So when he got back and he joined the Air National Guard, he got to fly the P-51s. You know, he was a pilot. I think he was a pilot. He knew how to fly. Uh, he had many hours of flying. Did he have a whole lot of hours flying in the P-51? Maybe not, but because he only was back from World War II for not that long. However, he was the captain of that squadron. He did hold the Distinguished Flying Cross. He did have air medals. Again, this wasn't some guy flying a prop plane and uh, decided to uh, chase something in the sky. He was told what to do. He was instructed to ch- uh, chase it. He chased it. He reported on it, and then he crashed. Mm. Well, wishing you and your family the best. I I hope uh, you're able to get uh, the truth out of the government on this one. Please keep us posted on uh, any developments on this story, and uh, we'll be on the lookout for that Discovery Plus show. And if uh, that screenplay ever ever gets produced, I'll be the the first one in the theaters to see this. I appreciate it, Frank, and I thank you again for letting me come on and talk to you. Thank you. I'm a big big Yankees fan, so it's exciting to be in New York. Hey, well, I'm a Met fan, but we could still we we could still be friends, Terry. (laughs) Yes, sir. Uh, Thank you very much for uh, for being a a part of this. Thanks for the conversation. The other side of midnight. 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 Midnight.